I've often described my life like a road trip, like a wild and crazy bumpy road trip, one without a map, one without a, an itinerary. Typically, I have no idea where I'm going, but around each and every corner and bend is something unexpected and exciting, whether it's good or bad exciting, but different scenery and different perspective, no matter what. And I remember when I used to be young and go on road trips and it's not that different from from now. I just packed two kids, but I'd go to the gas station, fill up with gas and get a gazillion snacks that only look good and sound good while you're in the gas station for the few minutes you are. Get in the car and and even with my kids, it's the same thing. We, we get ready and each snack, you get into each and every one of them and you're trying a terrible compilation of snacks and then you drink your stupidly large drink nowadays kids just have to go to the bathroom in addition to myself <laughs> about a few miles into it but it's that anticipation of this is so exciting and then you get into about a few miles of it or a few you know 20 minutes of it and it's kind of worn off that excitement is kind of worn off and it's sort of plain and and boring or you hit the plains or you've seen scenery that you've seen before and you become a little uninterested and you're thinking god why was I so excited for this trip but inevitably the the destination wherever you stop there there's a whole new adventure awaiting you and again not every trip I've ever been on has been awesome not every road trip has been for good reason or turned out great but it's always taught me something I'm Nikki Lynn Chase, and this is my podcast, Adult Chicken, about navigating life's road trips, life's adventures, and the unexpected of navigating life with two special needs kids as a single parent. For someone as into road trips and obsessed with <laughs> traveling as I am, I had a very strange and have always had a very strange relationship with cars and driving. And my first memory... I think that I always go back to was my my dad had a thing for for sports cars and he he grew up going to car races and was just very into sports cars and it he became kind of became a little habit of his to in order to piss my mom off he'd buy sports cars and we were really young at the time and he I they'd been in some epic blowout as they typically always were, but he decided he'd get himself a brand new, a shiny brown Porsche. <laughs> I have to say brown because I remember even at the time thinking, hmm, it wasn't a pretty brown like they come out now and it wasn't, you know, a family size Porsche. It was a little teeny tiny shit brown Porsche. And he was so proud of that car. And we he took my brother and I to McDonald's one day and it was like a week or two old. And of course, as my parents always did to me, Nikki, don't spill a thing in the car. I was just that kid. I always had to spill everything, ruin everything, just that person. And I got in the car with my orange McDonald's soda and I spilled the whole entire thing all over the back seat of my dad's brand new sports car. And that was one of the times I was most afraid 
afraid of my dad. Well, it might have something to do with the fact that when my brother turned 16, my dad says he wanted to make my mom mad again. They had just gone through a very sort of contentious divorce and um, he bought my brother a sports car and it was cute. I mean, it was old and it didn't work awesome, but it was, it was cool, you know, where he was 16 years old and it was really awesome. It's a little tiny old MGB convertible. And then it, I, when I turned 16 and it was getting close, I'm like, oh my God, I wonder what kind of car I'm going to get. I bet it's something amazing. It's going to be great. And I remember in the, at the time, of course, newspapers were a thing and I'd circle all the different cars that were used cars in the in the newspaper and I always imagined I'd walk out and there'd be a big huge bow on a car and my parents were divorced and I I knew this the backstory that my dad had done that to make my mom mad so I was kind of like Ooh, I wonder how we're gonna make my mom mad I wonder what kind of car I'm gonna get and I would leave the newspapers you know out for my mom because I thought maybe it was gonna be her getting him back and you know, 16th birthday rolls around and my mom says, kind of looks at me like I was an idiot for anticipating that I was going to, I too was going to get it a car. And she said, I'm, I'm going to let you have the station wagon, which was also brown. And the station wagon didn't work. By the time I was 16, we'd had it for umpteen million years and it did not it barely drove and it had so many miles on it and it was also shit brown. And she said, and I'm going to give you a really good deal. I'm not going to charge you interest. Again, if you heard the podcast gorillas in the Colorado mist, you'll know my relationship with my mother, but she was such a jerk. And she said she would allow me to make payments on the thing. And I guarantee there was, there was no payment that was owed on that car and I knew for a fact it would cost me gazillions of dollars to fix if and when I wrecked it but I was getting a car and that's really all that mattered I had transportation so I inherit the family ship brown station wagon and I'm making my payments on that and I went it was when it came time to take the actual driver's license and it it's a stick shift so I had learned on a stick and I'd never driven an automatic before but I had heard rumor that they they tested or they would dock you points for riding the clutch and I thought ooh you know I I know I'm a really good driver with this stick shift but I'm just going to take I don't want to take my chances and I'm going to borrow my friend's automatic well I'd never driven one in my entire life and I her car is much nicer than mine, and it's it's fancier. It's got two speedometers, I guess, if you will, and one's miles per hour and one's RPMs. And I, I don't know the difference. My car only had miles per hour. <laughs> so I got to take my driver's license test, and I'm pretty confident. I'm like, I'm cool. Like, I know how to drive, and I, I've never driven a, an automatic, but you don't have to do anything. Well, that wasn't the best choice. Um, and then I didn't know which speedometer to read. So I went about 
five, 10 miles over the speed limit, my entire uh, driver's test. And then we hit, I think, a school zone. And the, the lady that was testing me was like, you're in a school zone. Look at your miles per hour. And then that's when I realized there were two and I was probably looking at the wrong one. And then the turn signal arm, the arm for the turn signal just fell off and it was just dangling there by the steering wheel. And so I couldn't turn the, the I mean, I couldn't turn the indicator on. So we get back to the, the DMV and my friend is there kind of waiting for me to come in. And I, and my mom, I guess, was actually sitting there too with her. And I walk in and they're so, you know, kind of like, did she get it? Did she get it? And I remember the lady who had tested me said, she needs a lot of practice. I'm going to give her her license, but she needs a lot of practice. And I thought to myself, well, you just, that was deflating. Like, why would you give me my license? And it made me a little concerned because I thought, why would you give me my license? when you don't have that most confidence that I'm a great driver. <laughs> I mean, she had good reason, but I don't know why she, she didn't have good reason to give me my license. So I remember I'm kind of just feeling great. You know, I've got my license. I wasn't feeling overly confident about my driving skills, but I had my license nonetheless. And I go to school only to find out the entire boys' tennis team had bets on how quickly I would wreck the car. I didn't have blonde hair in high school. It's um, not real. So I can't even blame the fact that I was kind of the, the dingy blonde, but maybe a reputation for maybe not being the smartest kid. And so, yes, I found out there's this whole bet on how long it would take me to wreck. And whoever bet on about a week was absolutely the winner and I was backing out of the same friend whose car I borrowed um (laughs) for my driving driving test and I was backing out of her driveway and I had a bad habit of not remembering to look behind me and I took that station that old Volvo beat up station wagon and just backed right into her tree and it was a big tree it was a big station wagon and that was kind of the beginning of my finding out how much it costs to fix um, a car. <laughs> then I backed into my grandma's car that was in the driveway. And I believe that first summer of having my driver's license test, I had three jobs to afford my car payments for the shit brown family station wagon that I backed into everything and for all the repairs that it cost. Which again was a good thing because I had a whole new appreciation for safe driving, turning around when <laughs> when I was in reverse, and just being diligent and careful. Finally, the Brown family station wagon peters out. And a few cars later, a few adventures in life later, I end up back in Colorado and I end up in the mountains. And I've definitely advanced my driving skills and I've had so many more experiences and so much more driving time on my on my books that I was I was pretty good at this point. And mind you in Colorado, you've got inclement weather 
can have snowstorms in the spring, snowstorms in the early, early fall or late summer even. And once I had kids and we started going down to Children's Hospital in Denver all of the time, I became, I unintentionally became kind of the weather person because inevitably everyone got to know that there'd be a terrible snowstorm every time I have plans to go down to to children's. And so people would ask, you know, in the winter time, I was very popular because I think that season I manifested a lot of snow to come that year and everyone was really pleased. Come spring and early fall, people are over it. You don't want any more snow. There's nothing you can do with the snow. It's just a, a nuisance. But I I continued to drive back and forth and a lot of times it was treacherous and I would just it, white knuckling on the on the on the steering wheel black ice ice snow you know snowstorms you can't see in front of you and all of the above but fortunately I'd grown up driving in those conditions and was just back to it and I don't want to say comfortable with it I don't think you ever get comfortable with it but I was I was pretty efficient and able to drive in inclement weather. And I would take those drives just to reflect. I'd reflect on the day at the hospital, on the prognosis, the unknown prognosis of my kids, the the diagnosis of my kids. So after I would get home from reflecting for the two or three hours it would take me to get home from Children's Hospital in Denver, I would immediately call Ed and Gwen, and they were my godparents. I'm not even sure they were godparents. I were I was never baptized, or nor did I have religious parents. I don't think there's ever a ceremony, but I was told they were my godparents, so I've always called them Aunt and Uncle Gwen. And they were the only two people I could at that time even talk to. And they were the only two people who were allowed to tell me, you're only given what you could handle. I hate that phrase from anybody else, else's mouth because I'm like, walk walk two minutes in my shoes and you tell me you could handle this. And I'm only given what I can handle. I've, ha- I've handled enough. But they would tell me that. And they had the wherewithal to tell me that because they had lost three children of their own. And two of their uh, infant daughters had died of a very rare genetic disorder. And then they lost their son, Eddie, who was a year younger than I was, in a terrible car accident. And I remember the day of the car accident. And I think I was about six and I was ice skating. And they. Eddie had been at our house earlier that day and was picked up by a family friend. And uh, she was taking them to art school, her son and Eddie. And she tried to beat a train and she and Eddie were killed. Her son, her son fortunately lived. But it tore the town up. It was, it was absolutely devastating. And I don't think that story of that car accident or just the vivid memory of that particular day in my life, um, I never left me. And so knowing 
I, or only I don't know. I don't know what they went through, but imagining it and them them telling me on the phone, you're only given what you could handle. Again, their circumstances gave me the wherewithal to say, you're, you're the ones that are allowed to say that to me because I know you get it. And it was interesting because Ed in particular uh, had a very interesting perspective on children's and they'd spend a lot of time at the the children's in Denver themselves with the first two infants and he would always say you know Nick I was always so happy that I didn't have to spend my life there like so many of those parents of the kids who might have a long-term illness they were going to be there for who knew how long but we knew we were only going to be there for a short time and to me, I was like, wow. I mean, that's heavy, but it it was profound. And I oddly enough could understand and I could relate to it. I would go to children's and I'd see what was going on. I'd see perspective in amounts you cannot, it, you cannot even imagine. And these kids who going through everything in the world, dialysis, cancer, and you could see they were so present and their parents seemingly were so present. But I got to leave there. And even though we had all these unknowns and I didn't know if we were going to live or die, we still got to go home at the end of the day. And, you know, some surgeries, we stayed down in Denver for extensive periods of time. But we always, there was always a maybe a, a light at the end of the day because I knew I was driving home treacherous roads or not and I got it and I understood what exactly what he meant they had gone through so much and they had persevered they had done it they'd done it together and they gave me all the hope in the world and I had taken Bootsy to a camp and we'd flown out to California and Again, they, at the time, because I wasn't talking to a lot of people, this is when Sandler was not doing well at all, and I wasn't talking to very many people at all, and they, but I shut down, <laughs> I guess. At the end of the day, I just mentioned this to somebody yesterday, as a matter of fact, every time I'd get news, I would just shut down, because there weren't any, there wasn't anybody that could say anything that was going to make me feel better, to be honest with you. The only people I could relate to were the doctors, because they could talk to me on a level where we understood each other. And then it was Ed and Gwen. And so I had pretty much shut down and they were kind of the only two people I was talking to about my situation and my two kids, their prognosis, their diagnosis. And I had had a conversation with them right before I took Bootsy out to a camp in California. And the last thing I said <laughs> to them, they were on their way to a golf ceremony and it said I'm not getting a reward Nick but you know still it's good to it's good to be going there and he just was so funny he just he just had a way about himself and there was just always a kind of a positive spin on everything and he said he said what what's going on what do you have for me today and I said you know what I have figured out what I'm supposed to do with all of this stuff, meaning my, my two kids and there being these anomalies and all of this crap I'm going through. And it's, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to, I'm going to help people and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it what to expect when you're not expecting, because every day I'm not expecting the news I'm getting. And I just want to help people that go through 
this crazy. And he said, bingo was his name, oh, you got it. And he was so excited. And we kind of had this little celebration on the phone. You know, Gwen, Gwen could hear she was on speaker. And so they were going to go not ex- not accept the award he wasn't going to get for his golf tournament. And I was going to write this book. You know, I was, th- I was going to write a book and inspire the world to just embrace their circumstances with, with, sick or um, special needs children. And I took Bootsy out to California and dropped her off at a camp. And I got to a friend's house where I was staying and I had Sandler and I had all these missed calls from, from their daughter, uh, their daughter and my mom. And I was happy to ignore my mom's calls but I knew something was wrong. And Ed and Gwen had been driving home from a wedding in the, in the mountains. Um, and they were hit head on and both died instantly in a car accident. And after that, <laughs> I really took that you can only you're only given what you can handle and I just kept reminding myself you are only given what you can handle and those people handled the death of three children and they had three three other children they adopted two twin boys um that were my brother are my brother's age and their daughter um younger than I am and I thought Nikki they can get through everything, you can get through this, meaning their death. And they've always been with me. And so they completely helped inspire me to get out of my situation because I think I thought, you're only given what you can handle. And when things were getting tumultuous and scary at home and Sandler wasn't doing well, I thought, you can't handle anymore. You, you've got to go. And um, it was uh, their daughter who was in Tacoma, Washington. And that's why we inevitably ended up in Tacoma. And um, actually Gwen's brother and sister-in-law lived there as well. And so we get to Tacoma and they were my family. Ed and Gwen were my family, and then they were gone. And so I kind of clinged on to who was in their family, and they were so extremely helpful, and they were there, and they were in another state that was an unexpected state for, for me to take the kids. Then, of course, we didn't have a car, because when we relocated, we left everything behind, so we didn't have a car. And we also didn't have any money because when I left everything behind, I left my job. I left, there was, there was no income. There was nothing. And I realized we could do without a car. I realized I was only going to be given what I could handle. I can't even tell you how many times I've told myself that and also curse myself out for saying it because sometimes it doesn't seem like I can handle anymore. So we go six years without a car and 
Once it was time for Bootsy to go into junior high school, it was time to get a car. And we needed a car. Our our radius of places we needed to go was was growing. <laughs> we needed transportation. And they didn't fit in a bike cart anymore. So I couldn't ride them around with the bike and the bike cart. And uh, we got a, a car. for, And we had a car for the first time in six years. And there was nothing about that car I took for granted. It was incredible. The first thing I did was I went to every drive-thru I could get to because it had been so long since I'd gone through drive throughs Sometimes I'd even order a, a coffee and then go back around for the next item because I just wanted to keep driving through drive throughs because I could. And one of the first things I did after getting the car was take the kids on a road trip which turned out like every other road trip. Super excited, ambitions of going all the way to the state of Washington. We get about maybe two hours into it, and I'm like, maybe we'll just go to Oregon. <laughs> we get to Northern California. I'm like, I think we're going to turn around here. Oh my God, how long until we get home? Oh my God, I'll never do this again. Holy cow, this is awful. And reflecting on it, right, one of the, greatest experiences ever crazy weird there were not fun times there were exciting times and fun times but it was an experience and it was a learning experience I learned not to take my kids on a road trip for a really long time <laughs> and then I took them camp car camping you know we had something to we set a tent up but we slept in the car we could all fit in it and it was amazing and I never took a single moment of having wheels again for granted. And 2018 shows up and it turns into just the weirdest year. And I guess we'd had the car about two years at this point. And we get the car. And it it's a weird year. I mean, everything's going wonky. There was so much intense crap happening and that was the year my mom died and I always kind of do my reboot my my new year's is on my birthday I always say August August is going to be the the redo the reset uh reboot if you will and on August 16th my friend from Washington was coming with her grandson and we picked them up at the airport and it was really weird day because we picked them up and they got in the car and so there were three kids in the back my two and it's my birthday so I'm excited I've always really gotten excited for my birthday I think it's just always going to be something that it never ends up being but this particular day I had friends coming in we were at the airport we were picking them up it was happening and I had I'd gone to a drive through before I picked them up of course to get my coffee at McDonald's and so I've got my coffee I'm sure I usually have about three different beverages in the morning, coffee, Diet Coke, and uh, a water. But anyway, I've, I've got my coffee, and that's all that matters. And then we've picked them up, next best thing, to coffee as great friends, and you're ready to celebrate your birthday. And it's about 9 o'clock in the morning. And I remember saying to this friend of mine, I said, God, I think it's going to be a really – I think it's really going to be hard for, for, for you to go home. And I had this feeling, and I, I can't really 
ever put into words what I felt like. I couldn't describe it. We didn't have the music on. It was a very almost spiritual feeling, if you will, a very just intense, crazy, like it was going to be a life-changing trip. And we're leaving sort of the area where the airport is. And the last thing I remember is I see a green truck, like an old beat-up green truck in the intersection. And the next thing I know, we're all upside down, like a family of opossums. And I, again... There's no words to describe what that was. My first instinct was, is everybody okay? Is everybody okay? And everybody was. We had been T-boned and flipped upside down and we were smashed in the car. And everybody sort of was accounted for and was still talking But the hot coffee, it was warm at this point. The warm coffee had spilled everywhere. So I think we've all got blood all over us. But it's coffee. And then I realize no one's bleeding. And I have to figure out, because we're upside down with seatbelts on, what's the next step? But you're not thinking. I'm not like, well, now what should I do next? It was kind of instinct. I undid my seatbelt and then kind of slam, you know, there's not a whole lot of space. We're literally smashed like an envelope. And instantly first responders are there. And I know Jaws of Life showed up. I honestly can't remember if they were pulling us out. All of us, there was so much chaos and commotion and first responders are there and I get out and I remember the calm I go to the police and I knew the kids were all physically okay and I said please let's uh we're we're all a little special here and if you could just you know I I just put this face on me like everything's fine we are all okay And we were, and that was incredible. And all I could, the best way I can explain it is there were like, I think for the first time, I'm like, holy angels in my world. And oh my God, Ed and Gwen are here. Like they are here and they were just in charge of making sure we all make it out alive. And I put those kids, I asked the the firemen, like instantly I was like, distraction get these kids mind off of whatever that was that just happened and I remember I took my phone out and I said just can you put them on top of the fire truck please and they gave them fire hats and all three of those kids were up on the fire truck and I just got my camera out and I took pictures of them like well isn't this this wasn't maybe supposed to happen but isn't this exciting kids and of course we're everyone's so out of it I mean because it you're just an element of shock and I called one of my really good friends I called her husband and 
he would constantly, after after the accident, he would constantly tell people the story because I had this crazy, weird calm in my voice where I called him up and I said, Hi, Kenny, we've been in a terrible accident. If you could, we are at such and such an intersection. If you could come get us, that would be great. And he pulls up. It was there immediately. I, I always say it was like a little knight in shining in a shiny truck, not shiny armor, but a shiny truck. And he shows up and the car is smashed. No one thought anyone was getting out of that accident alive. I think every one of the first responders, I remember them saying they couldn't believe anybody lived through it, let alone all five of us. Bootsy was the only one that had like a physical injury. She had either a, I think it was a, probably a burn from the, the airbags. But oh my God, <laughs> state of shock for probably a solid month and just walking through life, just all I could really do was just make sure we, we woke up, we got up and we, we made it to bed alive. I will never get over that car accident. I'll never get over that experience. But I think the, it was a defining moment in that made me realize that something so terrible, tragic, and tumultuous could also be such a gift. It made me realize how protected we are, uh, myself and my kids, and everybody in that car that day, and that everybody got out safe and sound, and shockingly, no one was injured. And to go through something like that is, of course, life-changing. But to have had the experience to look back on two of the most important people in my life and to know that they'd gone through such tragic events with three of their kids, one who did pass away in a car accident and then them themselves pass away in an, a car accident. I think for me, of course, I'll have moments that I don't appreciate in life and I'll complain. I'm human. I will have moments. But I think um, for the most part, going through something like that and having had people in my life the way they were really has taught me to appreciate every second, every breath you get to take and never take any of it for granted. And the perspective and the gifts that something that terrible brings to you is profound and it's it's indescribable but I do appreciate that experience and I appreciate that I had the gift of Ed and Gwen sort of coaching me through that even though it was it was from somewhere somewhere else and it was a very very strong and and defining moment in and I think all of our lives. Now, of course, this um, special edition is dedicated to Ed and Gwen. And it's one of my favorite stories about little Eddie, their son, the five-year-old who was killed in the car accident. And they were the biggest family people. They were the parents I wanted to be my parents more than anything. They did all of the cool stuff. They were beautiful people inside and out. They were absolutely 
amazing. And they they knew how to have fun and they did everything. The family was everything and they did everything with their family. And I always pretended I was part of their family. And fortunately, <laughs> they let me pretend I was part of their family. But the one thing they would always do is take us to fishing troughs. And what I loved about Ed in particular was that he wanted everyone's day to be successful. And so you were not not going to have a successful fishing day at a fishing trough because you can't not catch a fish. No matter how bad or good or young or old you are, you're going to catch a fish. And poor fish, they have nowhere to go. <laughs> They're just stuck in a fishing trough for crying out loud. And one of my favorite stories to ever hear, and they could tell me a million times it would never get old, was they had taken Eddie to the fishing trough that they would always take us to. And cutest kid in the world, he had this white hair. He was a total towhead and had, I remember him always wearing an ivory fisherman cable knit sweater and like high water jeans. And they took him and of course, like every successful fishing trip with Uncle Ed, you caught a fish. (laughs) <laughs> and he caught a fish and he had no idea that that fish was attached to the fishing line and he had put the the fishing pole on his shoulder and he looked behind him and there was the fish and he thought that fish was chasing him and he took off running and he was terrified and he was crying and bawling and he had no idea that the fish was just attached to the fishing pole and of course he wasn't dropping the fishing pole he was holding on to it for dear life having no idea he was bringing the fish with him and as funny as the story is, my favorite part of it was listening to them tell it and just how they'd light up and thinking, what an incredible attribute in that these are your memories. And it's it's very true. And I think with, with that car accident and with all of the horrible events of our lives, you don't remember the the bad stuff as much as you do the good stuff and the and the great and funny and awesome memories. In fact, I think a lot of the annoying things about kids are what you miss if if they're not around or if they, I know with my kids, the second I'll complain about them being in my space and being around me. And then the second they're not, I'm almost not comfortable with not hearing mommy every five seconds. And I think for them, that's how they kept their, their kids' memories alive. And I'm sure they they grieved and mourned and they did it in the appropriate company and amongst the, the, the two of them and with themselves. But what they what they held on to and it was so genuine was all of the good times and every moment they had with all of their children. Please tune in next week for Triple A, episode number seven. It is not about Triple A, the towing company, because this subject has been tumultuous car accidents. It is about acting, alcohol, and anxiety. Hmm. Gosh, the unexpected events that could bring up, right? Please like, follow, share, subscribe. You can find me on YouTube, Adult Chicken. You can find me also on Spotify, Adult Chicken. Also, um, Apple Podcasts, Adult Chicken. And Instagram, adult underscore chicken, as well as TikTok, adult underscore chicken.